It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. A day later, the Bengals still started the season 0-1, but Mike at Bengals underscore Sands Santagata joins me today as we get through some all 22 takeaways. What went wrong with the passing game? What about the offensive line? How did they play and how good was the defense? We break it all down. You are Locked On Bengals. Your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, today joined by Bengals underscore Sands, Mike Santagata, We're going to get into some all 22 takeaways on today's episode. Today's episode of Lockdown Bengals, by the way, brought to you by Prize Picks, our daily Mm. fantasy partner this year. Fantasy made easy. You just pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money. You'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON at prizepicks.com. Remember, promo code LOCKEDON. Here on the Lockdown Bengals podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, we bring you coverage of your Cincinnati Bengals every day, free and available everywhere you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Thanks for subscribing and following and making us your first listen. With that out of the way, Mike, let's start with the passing game, and the passing game starts with Joe Burrow. There's a lot to talk about when we look at this offense, and some of it will be a conversation about the under-center game versus the shotgun game. Some of it will be about Joe Burrow staying patient and taking what the defense gives him as the Bengals predictably saw a lot more too high coverage than maybe they did, especially early last year, but not Joe Burrow's best, sorry, not Joe Burrow's best effort. He threw the three interceptions downfield, had more sacks taken than he probably should have, and generally didn't look very comfortable for much of the game. Now, to his credit, did, of course, put them in position to win the game, probably should have won the game, if not for special teams miscues and losing Clark Harris, who, by the way, has been placed on IR. The Bengals sign Cal Adamitis, long snapper from the practice squad who worked with them in the preseason to replace Clark Harris. But on your viewing, Mike, what were the biggest takeaways, the, the moments that stood out to you for Burrow in this game as far as whether there's anything to be concerned about long-term or or if this is just he missed a lot of time and he maybe wasn't feeling 100%, maybe he's a little bit rusty against some of these two high looks. Yeah, um, in my opinion, he looked real rusty, especially to start the game. Just the first half, it felt like he was late on almost everything, starting with that second play of the game that ends in a pick six. It's just he didn't move on. He something. If the corner spooks you on the smash concept or knife, whatever you want to call it, I I like to differentiate between an in with the corner and a, just like a sit in the corner. So I call that knife. And if that's if that's the corner's not there, you either have to move on to the check down or you have to hit the in, which did eventually come open with the corner mm-hmm. trying to play in the window. So 
he just it felt like he was like i really want the corner i really want the corner and then <laughs> he's just like i may let my guy go make a play and it's like you're so late on it i thought it was actually quarters coverage when i first saw it because minka matched him minka basically matches the corner route and he's just tight tight to it the entire time and it was just very uncharacteristic game of burrow that's just one example of quite a few different plays where it felt like burrow either hung on something too long didn't see what the whole field uh he was late on these throws that's why there's so many interceptions and and sacks because he just either was late moving on in, in the progression thought he could make a bigger play out of something really wanted the deep ball but Eventually, you have to. There, we talk so much about how he always well, a big game hunter, and I've done it a lot too. But I do think there is a gray area that he is kind of leaving because you just and he did it in the second half, but you do have to get to your checkdowns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could skip them on third down, but just getting just completely ignoring them and just throwing, trying to get that deep ball anyway was rough and and i would say you, you mentioned it starts on the second play of the game which of course is a pick six which i think does have something to do with the way that he's processing information after the snap i think it happened on the first play he wanted the right side pre-snap it was clearly quick passing game cordell volson does get beat to be fair but the ball also should be gone and the I, one I, I think defense. the way that burrow sets it looks like he wants to just throw that ball off his back foot and then he hesitates yeah, TJ Watt jumped. He he had his hands up and was jumping in the quick window. Okay. That's because when I first watched that too, I was like, oh my God, how'd you not throw the stick? And mm-hmm. then I watched uh, uh, the tight and I see TJ Watt not even rushing. He's just hands up jumping. And I was like, oh. And, and there was a lot of that from TJ Watt. That kind of gets into some of the design discussion that we maybe get to. TJ Watt on many of the shotgun plays in particular, not really trying all that hard with his rush, trying to time a jump to get into a pass window, gets gets an interception that way. And uh, it, it's probably something that the Bengals need to look at and make some adjustments. The other thing with, with Burrow that we should probably talk about is, is the pocket comfortability. And I, I do think that there are some things to improve upon in the offensive line. But when I went back and watched the game again, and we'll spend a lot of time breaking down, you know, Cordell Volson, the new offensive lineman, Jonah Williams, and, and how they played individually as well as as a unit. There were times that I thought Joe Burrow had a clean pocket and did not look comfortable. Three of those interceptions, as we mentioned, coming on late throws from a clean pocket. And and uh, I, I thought he, he bailed on a couple clean pockets. I do think it got better. Later in the game, I think that generally he calmed down and was playing more within the confines of the offense and generally trying to force the issue a little bit less as the game went on in the second half, later in the second half. But early in the game in particular, I thought he didn't even look comfortable in some of the clean pockets he had. I agree. I, I th- I'd be more concerned if we didn't watch the last half of last year because it did look a little bit like first half of the year Burrow where he was worried about the knee and dropping his eyes when he felt the rush and right. all those type of things. But yeah, it, it was rough to have that game when the because it, it just buzz killed, I think, everybody's optimism about the offensive line. When I thought the op- offensive line actually played okay at least considering they were going against what might be the best front in all of football it doesn't even necessarily get easier next week with micah parsons and his 
Did you see this? 60% pass rush win rate in week one. TJ Watt wasn't in the top 10 for edge rushers in pass rush win rate, which was like 24%, 23% for Watt. 60%. And I understand Micah Parsons was playing against a backup for a lot of that game. But boy, 60% <laughs> pass, pass rush win rate is more than double what TJ Watt had. And TJ Watt was enough of a problem, even when he wasn't pass rushing. Now, Joe Burrow did do some things pretty well in this game as well, Mike. What were some of the highlights for you uh, as the game went on and Burrow and the Bengals got back into contention? Yeah, honestly, the whole second half and even overtime really felt like a B game from Burrow. It was just an F minus in the first half. So that B game is just like, yeah, if you played like this, the Bengals win by 11, 12, 14, 15, something, probably two scores if you mm-hmm. play like this the entire time, even with what would have been two picks. You threw one pick in that half. So I thought as the game went on, he, I mean, the uh, we'll probably get there, but the uh, play action game, it felt, I don't know if he felt more comfortable or if it was just so wide open, but that was working a lot better than it did last year. Just his ability to quickly turn eyes upfield and, hit his targets. Um, I also thought he eventually did. He's when he started running. I think that's okay. Although he did miss one big play when he decided to run instead and dropped his eyes. But when he saw a man and was able to run, pick up first downs that way. I liked that. I liked his ability to avoid some of the sacks, even though he did take more sacks than necessary. Um, but he ended up getting a little bit more accurate. He ended up getting to his check downs. Like I was talking about where he was late. He was more on time there's a few plays. I know there's one slant dragon concept that was a tight window throw and uh, perfectly on time balls out as balls out as Chase is making his break on that. And also on that out that should have been a touchdown. They come over with zero points um, balls out before Chase even makes his cut. So he was getting more anticipatory. It felt like the game came to him more and he let it come to him more rather than forcing it. So I think he'll be okay, and this whole second half made me feel pretty confident in Burrow for the next game or two. He wasn't rusty the entire time. Yeah, there were certainly signs to to be hopeful to toward the end of the game. He throws four should-have-been game-winning touchdowns. One of them ends up counting because the, the feet were in bounds, the ball wasn't dropped, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe even five if you count the slant, the chase drop toward the end of the game that could have very well gone for a touchdown as well. No real cause for, I agree, big concern with Joe Burrow, I would say. And what about the offensive line? What about Cordell Volson? A lot of hand-wringing over the seven-sack number. Of course, you and I have gone back to take a look at those sacks and how they occurred, how the offensive line played. We'll dive into that coming up next. But today's episode brought to you by Prize Picks. Just want to talk about how much I love it. It's just so easy. It's so quick. You pick two to five players. You pick an over-under against the prize picks projection. That's all you do to win up to 10 times your money. And it's not just football, although you're listening to a football podcast, and I'm sure you would like to go pick over-unders on Bengals and their opponents. Prize picks has you covered for pretty much every sport that I've ever heard of, including esports, tennis, disc golf. I like to point out cricket. But of course, the major sports as well, the NBA when it's back, baseball getting down to the playoff stretch, golf as well, college football, you name it, they've got it for you. 
entries can made in 60 seconds or less. And, and that's my favorite thing about it. Like I mentioned, it's just so easy. Operational in 30 states in and in Canada, you're going to get a 100% instant deposit match right now on your deposit up to $100. Just use promo code LOCKDOWN when you sign up. Again, that's a 100% deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON at Prize Picks. Today's episode of Lockdown Bengals is also brought to you by Athletic Greens AG1. Now, you've heard James talk about how he loves Athletic Greens and the AG1 product because he doesn't like to eat his vegetables and it helps him keep up on his vitamins and his minerals. I personally don't drink caffeine. And just getting the AG1 routine into my morning has not only helped me to boost my immune system with all of that extra nutrition that I'm getting into my day when maybe I miss my vegetables on a given day, but it's helping me to, to have a more level energy throughout the day. No ups and downs like you get with some energy drinks, just feeling steady. 75 high quality vitamins and minerals that are optimized for your body to absorb them. Whole food sourced, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens make up this fantastic product. And right now you're going to get a one year free supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NFL network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NFL network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Mike, let's move on and chat about this offensive line under much scrutiny. In game one, Cordell Volson in particular faulted for giving up a few sacks. Lel Collins, on my rewatch, noticed him on the ground far more than I would like, even in some of his winning reps. Jonah Williams giving up a, a strip sack and getting beat around the edge by Alex Highsmith. There were some mitigating factors, though, I would say, on those sacks. And honestly, a big pressure to sack conversion rate for the Steelers. When you went back and actually watched all 100 snaps, including penalties for this Bengals offensive line. What were your big takeaways? Yeah, they were better than I thought, at least in the, especially in the second half. Um, Jonah Williams, yeah, he gave up the two sacks to Highsmith, and you never want that, but it was kind of like, oh, he has a pretty good game other than that. So it's like you lose two reps as an offensive lineman, and you lose them badly and those just end up becoming the viral, oh, this guy sucks type thing. It's like, uh, if those are just pressures, he ends up with a great game. I will say this about one of them. Joe Burrow's back arm is 10 yards deep in the pocket. Yeah, on the strip that was, it was Burrow, he, zero pressure, I think. What's that? It was a what? But it was a pressure, too, I yeah. think. Like, they brought more guys, so he might have dropped back a little bit just to give his – interior room but Devin that. Bush was unblocked on a blitz as well so he couldn't step up and it's not Burrow's fault he, he couldn't step up but also offensive linemen generally when you ride your guy 10 yards past the line of scrimmage you're usually okay so not the worst act to give up despite a terrible terrible result on that particular play oh yeah I mean the result is the worst thing you can imagine but uh the uh, process is I got my guy to 10 yards and that wasn't good enough usually Usually your quarterback's probably somewhere between five to eight um, when you're taking three steps from the shotgun. So is what it is. You know, you, you have to – that's, I guess, why you want to get your guy more to 11, 12 yards of depth. But mm -hmm. there is context to 
that's not a terrible loss, all things considered, losing around the edge at 10 yards. Um, yeah, there, there are worse things for sure. And, and there were some worse things in this game. Cordell Volson as well giving up a couple of sacks, but while he did get beat pretty cleanly on those plays, and I don't mean to excuse them or anything, I thought he had his fair share of nice reps against Cam Hayward as well. Down the stretch, I think, when things started getting sloppy and, and both teams started getting a little bit tired, it, it didn't necessarily go his way as much. But what were your thoughts on the Bengals' rookie left guard? Up and down. There there was definitely a high, a few highs, and I tweeted the one play that I liked the most was just he got Hayward with a snatch trap and put him on his face. So that's when the defensive line puts his hand to try to run through you, and he just kind of punched their hand down so that they lose their leverage and fall on their face. And I didn't know if we were going to get those anymore because that was a Quentin Spain favorite. And then I saw Volson do it, and I was just like, yes, weekly snatch trap still coming. <laughs> because if you can do it to Hayward, you can do it to a lot of guys. So That's right. Um, what What do you think, Quentin Spain? Should the Bengals still go sign him? Does he make the Bengals better <laughs> at, at starting left guard? Maybe like in a vacuum if they signed him months ago, but mm. – I don't know about right now. You don't know if he's in shape. You don't, you don't know what it does to just take your left guard who was okay, not abysmal and to just throw him away so that you can maybe get a slight improvement. It's the ship has sailed without an injury. Like if Volson gets injured or if his play deteriorates, maybe you could look into that, but he wasn't so bad that I'd be ringing the phone of Quentin Spain just yet. That's right. What what are you looking for from Cordell Volson next week against the Cowboys as far as areas for improvement or consistency? Yeah, uh, my first thought is zero sacks given up instead of two, but <laughs> just and, it's and not false start. Not, Let's not false yep, start. Yep the the false start that took him into the uh, bad part of the ten zone. You know the eight nine yard line, which is tough to do at the end of an uh, end of a half. So. I just want to see better performance considering it won't be as tough of an opponent. I, mm-hmm. I don't know too many of the Dallas interior guys, but there's probably somebody there that's fine, but most of them are probably just like, yeah, they're solid players. <laughs> um, they're not Cam Hayward. And even, I don't know. I, I don't know if I should say they're not Larry Ogunjobi, but Ogunjobi can, sometimes he just does, you know, we know high, high variance where he yes. just has a play once in a while. That's just like, Oh, if you could do this consistently, you'd be an awesome player, but it doesn't happen consistently. So against lesser competition, I'd like to see a better performance. Not that he was terrible, just you want to see him have a good performance against these guys because week three, Quinn and Williams. Yeah, it will get tougher again. How about the Bengals' new additions? I thought Alex Kappa and Ted Karras both played fine. They, they had their handful of mistakes each, but I thought they were pretty good. Lel Collins, I thought, was... A little bit more high variance, but seemed to settle in as the game went on. What were your takeaways for the free agents? Yeah, working center to right tackle. Karras, I agree, fine. Um, Not a ton of crazy wins, but overall he did his job for the most part, especially in pass protection. And he did a good job, just like I wrote about uh, when they signed him about He's just very good at knowing when to come off of his double teams and combo blocks and pick up the linebacker when they're shooting in or when he, he can drive a guy and then come off. So I thought that was good. Um, really only only the one free runner that they didn't account for in my in my recollection, that last play of the game where it came weak, uh, there was that Devin Bush play, but I thought that was actually the back missing a tough blitz pickup. Um, mm-hmm. 
I didn't see too many line misses. Yeah. So that's that's good to see from a new center. Right guard, I thought Alex Kappa was the best offensive lineman on the field. I, I thought he had some – he actually did have some high wins. He mm-hmm. had a play on duo where he cleared out the entire defensive line. <laughs> he took his – he took Miles Jack and he just pancaked two guys with him and gave Mixon somewhere to run off the backside. So he had a few plays like that. And overall, I thought he was good in pass protection, maybe one or two pressures that you could account for, but they weren't pressures where the defensive lineman beat him and was running free. It would be he's anchoring and going back, going back, going back. And now it's like, uh, it could be a pressure because you're too close to Burrow at this point. You can't step and throw. And then Collins was very high variance against the defensive player of the year who was playing. I don't know if we're giving him enough credit. That might have been the best game I've seen TJ Watt play. (laughs) Just Oh my goodness. The the when he knows he's getting chips and everything and he just kind of gets in the quick game window, that's mm-hmm. so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> then he gets the interception, he gets a few batted balls, he gets a uh, I think a pair, maybe just one sack. It was very good game from him. It sucks that he got injured. I, I know there's some people that don't think that, but I do. <laughs> I it sucks he got injured, but um yeah, that's a, such a tough draw for your first opponent and he looked rusty. Law Collins definitely looked rusty and like you said he fell down quite a bit. Um, don't love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Want him to stay on his feet. I do think a lot of his issues did just feel like like he didn't feel like he had Burrow's cadence down, and he was not every time, but fairly consistently the last one off the ball. And when you're facing TJ Watt, not not great. Um, felt like he had a little bit of balance issues. Felt like just his, everything wasn't there. And then over time, he was falling down less. I think from the fourth quarter on, I would say he was good. Uh, he had a few plays where he, he one-on-one on the island with TJ Watt, and he was able to take him mm-hmm. and do a great job, even though one time he did fall down at the end. But I was like, yeah, you protect for like four seconds. That's fine. Take a, take a rest. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I thought he got good as the game went, and he's got a big challenge again next week. So we'll see if that continues or if he's still a little rusty from only getting like three practices in. Yeah, big challenge coming with the Dallas Cowboys edge rushers. And we'll get some overall thoughts on the offensive line and offensive game plan, as well as diving into the defense, which I thought was excellent for 99% of the game to wrap up the show with Mike coming up next. But first, let me remind you about betonline.net, your number one source for all of the pro and college football information and betting needs you could ever imagine when you're looking for your information this season you're going to get all of the league developments matchups news podcasts and more including next week's week two games college football going on as well whatever you're looking to bet on from jamar chase versus justin jefferson receiving our player props to the bengals exploded line from dogs on the road in dallas to i believe their touchdown favorites as of the time of recording after Dak Prescott's injury, Bet Online has you covered from football to baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. They've got it all. Head over to the website today, use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online is where the game starts. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. 
If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Mike, let's wrap with quick overall thoughts on the offensive line and offensive design before we get to the defense here to wrap up the show. You, you mentioned this, but if you're giving a grade to the offensive line or, or even just comparing it to last year, let's, let's do that instead. Do you believe that this offensive line is better through one game than last year's offensive line? Yeah, uh, especially the one at the end of the year. But I think even at the beginning of the year, this offensive line is demonstrably better. Easy enough answer. I agree with that. I do think this offensive line is better. I think that a lot of people are looking at the sacks and they're saying, oh, well, how could the offensive line be better? They gave up seven sacks to the Steelers who only got to Burrow, I think, twice in their two games last year combined. You, you look at the, the composition of those sacks. Yes, a couple of them were clean beats from the offensive linemen, but I would put a couple of them on Burrow. One of them wasn't even really a sack. It was just a busted play where Burrow has to slide awkwardly at the line of scrimmage. That counts as a sack technically. And, uh, you know, there, there were some scheme issues as well, I thought, that that contributed. From a scheme perspective, though, not directly correlated with the sacks, we need to see the under center game from the Cincinnati Bengals improve. And by that, I mean a design perspective. This is a common criticism for some going back to last year, even two years ago where the Bengals go under center, they're running the ball. And that's true for a lot of teams in the NFL, to be fair. There's a stark split to under center to shotgun for running plays versus passing plays for every team in the NFL. But the Bengals had 16 of their 18 under center plays end up as runs. The other two were play action plays, one in the first quarter, one their last under center play of the game in overtime. The Steelers in the middle of the game we're keying that right, Mike. And, and when you start to get that, you would expect to see some counter punches called, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it felt like Burrow was checking into a lot of these runs and that was interesting in terms of early, especially I thought. Yeah. In terms of what I would see, and this is me, eye in the sky versus him, eye on the field, but it felt very much, Oh, that they're, they're completely selling out to stop the run. They're fast fitting. Everybody is trying to get in on the run stop. And that's why you got an explosive play on the one play action play. And the other one just required a defensive player of the year type play from Minka to recognize what was going on and make a stop on uh, the tight end. Because otherwise that was another touchdown. So both plays, play action plays worked. I know they, they're probably not going to run, you know, traditional drop back passing out of under center but they are getting good looks. They're getting good pass looks. The The Steelers are playing a lot of heavy middle of the field close. Like plus they want to be plus one in the box. They want to have everybody up near the line of scrimmage and running to the run action on these under center run plays. So that's why these play action plays work so well. The linebackers are moving, mm-hmm. but the question is how comfortable is Burrow with the under center play action game and What's your run game if you can't go under center? It, it's a whole lot of the same things we were thinking about last year where the under center games just – it's so – because they don't have a play action game off of it, it's just – it's so not there. It's not a complete offense there. The shotgun, I think, is a fine schematic offense, everything to do with that. 
maybe you want a little bit more play action from shotgun, but really when they're in shotgun, they're passing and they can get some good runs out of it. I'm okay with it because they're getting some light boxes. The under center is the design that I don't feel comfortable with right now. Yeah. I, I think that there just needs to be more off of it. Even, you know, another questionable play that, that we've talked about both on Twitter and in DMs today. And before we started recording is the play action trap protection where they're running fades from tight splits from their receivers on the outside, meaning they're lined up pretty close to the, to the offensive line, either end of the offensive line where they're lined up near the hashes and they end up getting a, a too high look. And so they have all this play action going on and they get a too high look and they have nothing in the middle of the field to take advantage of linebackers that might be sucked up by the play action. Plus you really complicate your protection. I, I guess they have Hayden Hurst in the middle of the field, but he just kind of is running seven yards sit. It looks like to me, or maybe that's just because there's contact there, but Again, these are maybe details that need to be cleaned up. You could even go back to the uh, failed fourth down in in the red zone where I think Mike Thomas and for T. Higgins on this play runs his route underneath a little bit too deep, takes his defender the, the outside the corner too deep into Jamar Chase's corner route from the, the interior slot position. He was the number three receiver on the play. So uh, a few little details like that as well, I think, that need to be ironed out on the offensive side of the ball. And we've spent, of course, as we do, 28 minutes on the offense. It needs to be better before getting to the defense that I thought played really well, especially the defensive front, which was honestly under the most pressure in this game. The Steelers not really pushing the ball downfield. The Steelers not really running anything that looked like a, a functional offense. And a lot of that is because they know they have a quarterback that can't do it. But another big part of that is the Bengals defensive line absolutely shut down the run the Steelers just couldn't run the ball and DJ Reader, Sam Hubbard Trey Hendrickson BJ Hill all deserve a lot of credit for that as do Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt that entire front six had a really nice game as did uh, Josh Tupo I think off the bench but Mike what what stood out to you the most on the defensive side of the ball and what I thought was a a very dominant performance despite not having the turnovers or sack numbers that the Steelers did the first thing I noticed was a, a statistic where the Steelers only got 52, only 52% of the, of the time. They're able to get a first down with a whole set of downs. And uh, for context, the Bengals who had a bad offensive game were over like 72%. So and the Steelers were last, last in the league at being able to get to a first down um, just from a set of downs. Yeah. So the defense was pretty dominant and they shut down the run game. I know the Steelers improved their offensive line, on paper, it didn't look like it because the Bengals' defense was just dominant. Uh, the DJ Reader had a another All-Pro game. Um, mm-hmm. Hubbard did a pretty good job stopping the run, and he got a few pressures, missed a couple tackles, dropped down the PFF score, but I thought he did a pretty good job overall. Hill, all the guys were doing a good job in the run game. Logan Wilson had a nice uh, stack and shed. Um, just they, they shut down the run game, and when he shut down the Pittsburgh run game – they don't have a drop back, drop back um, passing game. So if you can get them into third down, like they're trying to just run like a quick curl or a, a whip to Deontay Johnson, just try to take advantage of either his quick change of direction or just throw in some type of vertical route to mm-hmm. Pickens or Claypool or I guess Miles Boykin. <laughs> so yeah. um, they they took away what the Steelers could move the ball and then force them to try to do what they can't do and they couldn't do it. 
Yeah, Matt Canada's offense, I, I like the way that Nate Tice put it, is all smoke and mirrors. And I was talking about this throughout the game. There was a point early in the game when the Steelers were averaging like two yards per play outside of their weird flea flicker. And for the most part in regulation, the Steelers' big plays came on a screen, that flea flicker, and there was another misdirection play. It was a jet sweep to Chase Claypool that went for like 15 or 20, where the defensive line looked a little bit confused. And uh, outside of that, th- there there was like no offense for the Steelers until eventually Deontay Johnson caught a pass uh, downfield in overtime on a really nice catch. But I thought a really disciplined effort from the defense for a vast majority of the game. I thought Trey Hendrickson had his fair share of wins against Dan Moore as well, even though he didn't register a bunch of pressures with PFF or have a really high grade. I thought he was getting a lot of pass rush wins. Um, I just think that the Steelers, the way they were calling their offensive game, didn't give the defensive line many chances to be terribly disruptive. And Zach Taylor did point out in his press conference that they did come close to about three takeaways with Trey Flowers nearly having the interception in overtime, Trey Hendrickson nearly getting that strip uh, tackle. I don't think it would have been a sack from chasing down Mitch Trubisky all the way to the other side of the field and Logan Wilson almost punching a ball out on that uh, uh, that screen to – who was the tight end that took that screen? Zach Farmer or no Gentry? Gentry, Gentry. Gentry yeah. Uh, anything else for you, Mike, on the defensive side of the ball before we wrap up? <laughs> no, I just want to give uh, give give DJ Reader some more spotlight. He was yeah. just awesome. He just we don't talk. Nobody talks enough about DJ Reader because he is, I think, the best player on the defense and. I don't think all the fans think that they want to give it to Wilson and Wouzier and all these other guys, but it's reader. It's it, Hendrickson. It's reader to me. It, he's just consistently the best player in run defense. You can't run against the guy. He's just able to two gap or cross yeah. face or do everything that an elite nose tackle needs to do. Like he has a good case as the best nose tackle in the NFL. And I just want to point out like the Steelers run game. A lot of that failed because of DJ reader. Yeah. And he also was collapsing the pocket as a pass rusher. Yeah, he Probably. had a, he, he, he had a couple of hits too. I think on, on I, I know at least two. I yeah. I clipped out two plays where DJ Reader won. One of them he was it was like the old Madden defensive line drill where you have to keep fighting through two different guys. <laughs> he got a quarterback hit out of it. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, that's right. Uh, PFF, for what it's worth, had him at three total pressures, two quarterback hits. Was their highest graded defensive player that had more than five snaps. In case you're counting Trey Flowers, who, for uh, to to his credit, was targeted twice, gave up zero catches, and had a pass breakup. So, nice little game for Trey Flowers, who was also a bit of a late camp star toward toward the end of those training camp practices. Trey Flowers was really standing out as well. But you're right, Mike. I, I think that sometimes it's easy to get distracted by guys like Jesse Bates and Shadobe Abuzier and Logan Wilson when they're coming up with some of the flashier plays, or Trey Hendrickson with some of the sacks or Sam Hubbard simply because he's from Cincinnati and he's also a good player doing a good job on the defensive line. Go back to Tennessee game, watch this game again. Go go to at Bengals underscore Sands on Twitter and see DJ Reader doing superhuman stuff on a weekly basis and, and being able to move, not just being big and, and taking up space and not losing double teams, and but but moving guys. He, he is truly at the top of his game, and, and I think that's a good point and a good note to wrap on. DJ Reader being the linchpin for this defense, and 
it'll be interesting to see how that defensive line rotation shakes out because those starters did play quite a bit of that game and can kind of understand why with how much the Bengals offense was on the field with all those turnovers, to be fair. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Plenty of good observations here from Mike. You can find him on Twitter at Bengals underscore Sands. And Mike, anything else you'd like to promote before we get out of here? Yeah, just uh, my new podcast with uh, Lindsey Patterson. It's always game day in Cincinnati. Check it out. That could be your second listen of the day if Lockdown Bengals is your first one because I know you guys can't get enough Bengals content. There really isn't enough. And I know you're over at allbengals.com as well. You can find his writing there. James Rapine will be back with us tomorrow. And, well, it's getting to be that time where we shift our attention to the future and the Bengals' week two opponent. There will be more thoughts from week one, and we will start to look ahead for the Dallas Cowboys, whose season seems to be all but lost in week one. But the Bengals still have to win a football game next week in a game that could have a very similar script if things go off the rails to the Bengals' week one roller coaster ride until next time Bengals fans thanks for listening to the Lockdown Bengals podcast who day and have a good one hey prime members you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad free on Amazon Music download the Amazon Music app today is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements maybe it's time for a rebuild or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi trophy Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.